Hello, Benjamin Partridge here. You might recognise my voice. I make the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. And a little message before the uh, podcast starts properly. Beef and Dairy Network podcast is part of the Maximum Fun podcast network. And once a year, shows on the Maximum Fun podcast network, such as this one, invite their audience to think about supporting the podcast they love. And to do that, go to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. That's MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Anyway, I will harp on a little bit more about this later on in the episode. But until then, enjoy. The Beef and Dairy Network is sponsored by Zap Broom Pro, the new million-volt cattle brush from Mitchell's. If it's not Mitchell's, get back in the truck. Groom and discipline your cattle at the same time with this new revolutionary rotary brush. It'll leave your herd silky smooth, clean, and completely passive. For 10% off your first Zap Broom Pro, simply put a battery under your tongue and run into a lightning storm. Hello, and welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved, or just interested, in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website, as well as the printed magazine, brought to you by Zap Broom Pro. And the Zap Broom Pro is not only the best way to groom and discipline your herd, it also makes for a really satisfying prank on one of your nearest and dearest. Maybe you've gone on a caravanning weekend with your boyfriend, but he's being lazy and won't get out of bed. He's just lying there, snoring and filling the caravan with the rancid stench of last night's boil-in-a-bag bean-and-beef bolognese. It's time to visit the local flour mill that is run using ancient methods, but he just won't get up. Well, he certainly will once he's on the receiving end of a million volts and a three-foot-wide coarse brush going around at 4,000 rotations a second. <laughs> this month, I went to visit friend of the podcast, Welsh slaughterman Eli Roberts, to see how he's been getting on. You may remember that last time we spoke, he had been to Africa to steal chimpanzees to create a team of crossbow-wielding simian security guards for his slaughterhouse compound. Let's just remind the listener, you, you had a 50-strong security team of African, 50. African chimps. Yeah, good lads. Good, and, and not just lads, you know, not just fellas, girls as well. A, a, lovely, a lovely bunch. Is there a difference uh, between the way a male and female chimp approach being a security guard? A woman chimp, in my experience, uh, is as vicious, if not more vicious, than a male chimp. And uh, I think that's a wonderful redeeming quality. Uh, there's a bit of a bit of a misapprehension, I think, that females of species are, are weaker than males. I can assure you from first-hand experience um, that a female chimp is certainly uh, at least equal to the male chimp. One chimp, uh, one one lovely uh, chimp uh, called Helen, uh, works with me. Um, you know, she is an absolutely vicious woman uh, of a chimp. I, I remember once uh, one of the one of the fellas there, Dave, one of the other chimps, was winding her up, and she went. I can only describe it as going ape, if you pardon the pun. She she literally, and I you know people say, "Oh, I'm going to pull your bloody ears off in a minute." Well, she pulled his ear off, and then he was he was in the elevator. What 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 what
she was having none of it. She wasn't going to put off in the slightest. She he was he was holding his one ear, the, the you know protecting the, the remaining ear, and she just had that off as well straight away. Bang gone. So um, you know, Dave. I mean, he's still with us, Dave. Um, he, he struggles keeping the uh, to keep the goggles on these days, obviously. But um, older, earless Dave. But uh, yeah, I mean, she was a she well is formidable, formidable woman, chimp. Yeah. It sounded as if the chimps were settling in well and were happy with their new life in Wales, something that was proven when Helen the chimp became pregnant. Well, you see, the thing is, chimps are not so very different from us. They want to be loved. They want to feel warmth. They want to feel protected. Uh, and I, I, I give them all that. And, you know, they also, like us, love a leg over. And Helen, very, very frisky, uh, very, very frisky chimp. I remember I came back from, I was I was doing a bit of killing um, at one of the farms near me and uh, I came back and uh, I had a racket, you know, and uh, I look in a, in a shed there and, uh, oh, I mean, there must have been four or five of the boys. There was Keith, uh, Dave. Uh, Earless Dave. Is this, Earless Dave, is this yeah. after or before he, she pulled his ears off? Well, this was after. This was after to show no hard feelings. There was, there was Earless Dave, uh, Gary, Harry Terry, all having a go on her, and she was loving it. I mean, she was very much the, the, in the driving seat, of it, as it were. Um, and one of them, we don't know which one, uh, got her pregnant um, because she was, uh, I mean, she was, it could be any one of them. Yeah, but a hell of a girl. Was it, were you okay with you? It sounds like you sort of watched proceedings. Well, can you be a voyeur if it's if it's not the same species? That's what I've, that's what I've always said. You know, some of my old grandmother used to say to me, you know, if you, it just because just you watch a dog fuck doesn't make you a dog, you know. And I never know what she meant by that until until I came back from the from the from the farm, as I said. And I heard, I heard the racket, but um, yeah, I, I I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't do it for any sort of. Uh, I didn't. There was no gratification involved. I just mm-hmm. wanted to see what what was going on, and I was intrigued then to see the the power struggle and to see how the hierarchy worked within the chimp kingdom, and I to see how that uh, Helen would use her womanly charms. Mm-hmm. You know, she had these uh, quite a hairy hairy breast. And uh, one of those sort of exposed bottoms that chimps have. Would I mean, you say that she's an attractive chimp? She's got a certain genesis quality about her. That's the thing about Ellen. Uh, she is. I wouldn't say she's conventionally attractive, but then it's always in the eye of the beholder. You know, I mean, uh, all the fellas in there were were very, very excited. You know, in the downstairs area. So, and she has a sort of come hither look sometimes, um, as she's wiping the blood away from her mouth or whatever, or or throwing an ear in the bin. Uh, just, uh, I don't know, something co- coquettish about that, like, you know? I wonder if part of the attraction for the chimps is mm. that there's that bit of danger there. So as you say, you know, she might pull your ears off or she might, you know... Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, and I think I think there's always, uh, you know, why do we watch Why do we watch motor racing? You know, why do people enjoy watching boxing? Why do, why do, why do people gather around if I'm slaughtering a cow? Because people like to see uh, danger. They like to see. Uh, they like. They like to. See, I think it's visceral. I think. I think they feel closer to life sometimes if they if they have a brush with death. And I think. I think. The thing with a the chimp, there's no bullshit with a the chimp. Things are black and white with a chimp, and I I, I got a, I got a lot of time for that. So you know though, if you're going with Helen or one of the other girl chimps, you know, um, yeah, you're gonna have a good time. Believe. I mean, I, I've I've seen the look on their faces, but. You are literally dicing with death. And I remember a time I was uh, I was a young buck of a of a of a man just, and I I met a lovely young girl and uh, she uh, we went back to her place and one thing led to another and whatever and uh, she revealed to me that she was uh, also in in the livestock industry, mm-hmm. 
and her job was castrating bulls. Um, I found that exhilarating. And remember she said to me, she looked me in the eyes and she said, Eli, Eli, she said, she had a little laugh. She said, I could cut your nuts off while you were sleeping and you would never know. I thought, well, do I stay here now? Do I, do I still have a go with this now? And, you know, do, I, do, I, do we make love? Knowing that if I fell asleep post-coitus, which is par for the course for me, uh, there was a very good chance I'd wake up, you know, sans testicles. But I still went for it. And we had a, we had a wonderful time. And there was that lovely moment of when you're waking up and you open your eyes and think, oh, have I got my testicles? You know, and I looked down and there they were, bold as brass. And uh, yeah, wonderful, wonderful time. And that, that bit of jeopardy, that bit of peril just sort of made it even more exciting. So Helen uh, becomes pregnant. Yeah. I guess then you have to take her off um, security guarding duties for a while when she's no, doing No, no need, no need, no need. I mean, what, what you'll find if they're pregnant is they are, they're more fierce. They become protective. Um, you won't get a better guard chimp than a pregnant chimp. So ideally... In an ideal world, of course, they'd all be pregnant. And then Helen gives yeah. birth. Yeah. And I believe this was quite a special time for you personally. I looked at that little chimp size, David, his name is, right? When he was born. And I knew in that instant we had a connection. Right. I looked into David's eyes and uh, he looked into my eyes and he just looked and he, and he went. <laughs> And he thought, oh, I know what that means. And he was saying to me in Chimp, I love you, really. And I'd never had that before, you know, and it was a wonderful moment. And, uh, well, it, it's, it feels like it's it's changed you. You know, you've, you've just been very vulnerable with me there, you know, telling me about how you, your feelings. That's never, that's not the kind of thing you used to do. I've opened up. I, I, I like to think of that, that uh, little Dava there has made me 21st century Eli. That's what I call myself now. And I, I think I'm a better man for it. And the thing is, people think it makes you weak or soft, but uh, I think what it's done for me has made me, if anything, harder. Okay. Because now i got to look after little David. You know what I mean? i gotta, I got to make, make a world fit for him to live in. And uh, because I can love now for the first time in my life, I can truly hate you know that is a thing. There's yin and yang. There's light. There's light and dark. There's 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 light and shade. I never really hated before. You really didn't. Are you sure of that? I never really hated before. Did you think you were hating before? I thought I was. I thought I was being hateful. I thought I hated, but uh, I, I I didn't. I I couldn't because I, I'd never loved. Uh, obviously, every action has op opposite and equal reaction. And as soon as I saw that that look in little David's eyes, and I. And I and I had that connection with that bond. And that one moment of purity, that moment of love and, and connection, I knew immediately that I could fully hate. And that was very liberating. Back to my interview with Eli later. Now, this month I also spoke to Philip Seastrom. You may remember from my previous interviews with Philip that he once worked at the Food Standards Agency where he raided Eli Roberts' slaughterhouse to reveal a depraved webcam slaughter business which he was so traumatised by he moved jobs to animal welfare only to have to attend Mosquito Mayhem, a mosquito-only zoo which turned out to be owned by Eli Roberts. At the zoo, Eli set millions of mosquitoes on Philip which left him with deep psychological scars ultimately leading him to leave his job. Then, Eli was arrested for murder and wanted Philip to be a character witness. 
Philip visited him in prison and Eli became angry and tried to attack him, but thankfully security guards fired hundreds of tranquilizer darts into his ass, and Philip went unharmed. Then, Philip was so stressed out by his experiences that he took some time off work and volunteered in an old people's home. He struck up a friendship with a World War II veteran called Gerald, and the two of them went on a fitness holiday to South Korea together. However, the holiday turned out to be a death game, run by Eli's religion, the Church of Eli, and was a battle royale, in which only one could survive, and Philip ended up having to kill Gerald by hitting him with a lamp. I asked Philip how he's doing now. I haven't managed to return to any sort of employment, because as you know, anytime I tried to do anything, uh, Eli would somehow get involved. So I just felt like any job that I tried to do, he might pop up again. So, you know, I've I've long enjoyed the idea of being a dry stone wall builder. Um, but I would go to sleep at night and dream of being a dry stone wall builder, but always in those dreams, they'd rapidly turn to nightmares and Eli's face would start appearing in the rocks or he'd burst out of a nearby sheep. And there's just, there's no way I can take that risk. So you, you've kind of been turned off employment entirely. Mm. Um, and this is kind of what we're here to talk to you about today, because obviously you couldn't just do nothing. You couldn't just sit in your house watching Bridgerton uh, for the rest of your life. No. So you did try to do something to, to give you something to do. Yes, I thought I'd give something back. I thought I'd get out there and help and volunteer. I live fairly nearby a, a chimpanzee sanctuary. Okay. They were asking for volunteers, people to help out with the chimps. And what was it about the idea of looking after chimps that, that attracted you to the role? I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of ever working with humans again. So I think the closest possible thing to get that same feeling was was working with chimps, but none of the none of the true darkness of humans. Mm. So a chimp in a way is like a pure human. A chimp is a pure human. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. A chimp is a pure human. I mean, the thing about a chimp, you've got to remember with a chimp, they are an apex predator, right? Think about a roof of an apex. You know, the top of that roof is your apex, right? And they are the top of that particular tree, right? So they are the kings and queens of all they survey. I'm a chimney predator above an apex. So I go in there as a chimney predator Basically, I have my, I have the, uh, I have the run of the place, and they know that because there's respect, obviously, but they know I will happily kill them, and I've got the means to do so as well. I mean, they are vicious buggers; they, they, great teeth. I mean, they're very, very powerful, very muscular. But I mean, uh, they, they've got to sleep is the thing, and this is what they forget, right? And uh, I'm not adverse to uh, to a, a little bit of discipline. I remember when one fellow was kicking off. Making a bloody racket all the time, and he was—he—he uh, he, he waved a crossbow in my general direction. I said, "Arthur, you know, don't forget now. You may be the apex predator, boy, but I'm the—I'm a chimney predator." He looked at me, thought I could see he was a bit confused. So what he did that night while he was sleeping, of course, this is the thing—they forget that uh, they're very much slaves to circadian rhythm, whereas humans can, through chemical means or just through sheer willpower, stay up longer than they, than they, than, than uh, their animal friends. I dropped an anvil on his head when he was sleeping. Uh, completely uh, obliterated the skull. There was brain everywhere. And what was good about that was twofold, really, was that it it, it sort of established me as, as the chimney predator, number one. Number two, there was a lovely sense of 
calmness that, that came back to the to, to the to the chimps to the family because they'd seen what I'd done they see what I was capable of because I was a, a new a new father I was still I was up you know I was up sorry just to just to butt yeah. in there you're describing yourself there as a new father yeah am I to then surmise that you David you, you sort of considered to be your son really? oh very much so yeah I mean I, to me David is is the son I never had you know just to be clear not biologically uh, no, I don't think so. It, it would be very difficult uh, for it to have worked that way, particular way. Um, but I wanted him to see his dad. Like I said, he, he taught me how to hate, which I loved, you know. Uh, and I, I wanted him to see his dad. He's, you'd only ever seen the good side of Eli. He'd right. seen me being kind. He'd seen me being, you know, and I, I would, I would uh, help with the breastfeeding. I would, uh, I would look after him. I would, I would, uh, I, I catered to his every whim. But uh, it does a kid no favour to see his father or his mother in the one light. So um, he woke up, just as I was dropping the anvil on, on the head there, he woke up and looked at me. I could see a startled look at his face, and I gave him a little wink. And there was this audible pop as the, as the, as the, as the head exploded. And uh, he looked sad at first, but then I could see this other look in his eyes. It went from sadness to pride. And like I said, Arthur was 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 trying to set a stall out, you know. Arthur, Arthur was doing what chimps do. Arthur was trying to be the big the big dog, but uh, he had to, you know, he, he found out the hard way that he wasn't a big dog. You drop an anvil on someone's head when they're sleeping, and they soon come around your way of thinking. I asked Philip about his first day volunteering at the chimp sanctuary. Well, I was a bit disappointed because when you first arrive, you do have to meet a human first of all. Mm. They work on the door, and you know they are. They do have to work there. I think in in my head, and I knew this wasn't going to be the case. In my head, you arrive and the chimps are running the place. That you don't actually have to meet any humans whatsoever. That mm. you arrive and there's a chimp at reception, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, there was Jan. Uh, she worked on the front desk. Jan is a sort of Homo, homo sapien. Yes, the, uh, Jan is a human being. Yeah. Um, she greeted me she sorts out all the volunteering you know she showed me showed me where i could put all my things and uh showed me through to the the chimp sanctuary and i believe that and i'm not sure if you knew this before you you joined up there there's some pretty famous chimps in that sanctuary yes well i didn't i didn't know this at all but it it became very evident as soon as i as soon as i walked through the door You'll see there's a long corridor if you go that it's just lined with uh, with framed pictures of of famous chimps. Uh, and I thought, well, that's nice. They, you know, they're a little nod to celebrity. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually go into the sanctuary itself, you do see you do see those chimps. They are they are all living there because a lot of people will think they'll see chimps on TV, like the PG Tips advert, etc. And you'll go, well, where did those chimps go? Because I don't see them in anything else. Yeah. It's it's amazing. That's what that's where the chimps go. And and obviously, I'm not, I'm not sure if I saw a chimp that I would rec- you know, that I'd seen on television twenty years ago that I'd recognise them by the face alone. So mm. were they? I don't know. Pouring each other cups of tea. Were they? Were they carrying a piano down some stairs? Like, how did you realise what these chimps were? Well, the, you and I differ here because I do recognise the faces of the chimps. Right. But I think you'd be okay because. The way these chimps are trained in their showbiz life is so strict and so repetitive that by the time they go into the sanctuary, they can't do anything else but the thing that they were doing on TV. So, for instance, the PG Tips 
chimps, they they spend all day making tea, pouring tea, drinking tea, making tea, pouring tea, drinking tea, to the point that they are doing it while they're asleep. Wow. Hmm. Is that quite a sad thing to, to see? It depends what you enjoy, really. I like the PG Tips adverts. Yeah. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't I want it on repeat? Yes, but isn't there a kind of, uh, from an animal welfare point of view, uh, certainly uh, if I saw a, a chimp making tea for another chimp or, t- you know, just to take another example, a chimp wearing a kind of sequin jacket, tap dancing and and juggling bananas or, you know, the kind of things that these chimps were bred to do, there's definitely a sense, isn't there, of like this isn't what they were meant to be doing in the wild. If you If you go to the jungles of Africa, they're not doing these kind of things. Well, have you been to the jungles of Africa? I haven't. No, I haven't. So there, you are saying there is a chance that they could be doing those things in Africa. So you're saying that there's a chance that just naturally they could, you know, be jumping through a flaming hoop or. Well, I, I, I think wearing like a, the, a Mexican wrestling mask and. I, I, not necessarily naturally, but I feel like that is their full potential. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. So maybe actually the sadness is that there are chimps out there that aren't doing this stuff. Yes, that's to me, that's the true sadness. When you see a David Attenborough documentary or you might go to the jungles of Africa and the chimps are just sitting there. Come on then, let's get going. Dress, dress up like a Victorian man. So what you, what you see there is untapped potential. Nothing sadder than a chimp just being a chimp. Put a suit on and get on a penny farthing. I asked Eli about what Helen the Chimp thinks of him considering David his son. I think Helen, she, I mean, she has her fun and her kicks. You know, she, she, I don't, I don't, I don't tell her what to do. She doesn't tell me what to do. You know, she go and wants to go out with her mates and do stuff, and uh, you know, up the up the barn with the boys and whatever. And she gets up to us, up to her. But I mean, she knows that when uh, when it comes to being a parent, when it comes to being a, a father figure and a father to young David, that's my role very much so, and. Um, we got a lovely bond there. It's not like I said. It's not. It's not sexual in the traditional sense, but it, it is deep. I don't think I had ever before come across Eli speaking so fondly and tenderly about another, if not human being, then being at least. I was deeply struck by how much this experience seemed to have changed him. I was living in a wonder in a wonderland for for, for a, you know a good few months. Uh, me and Dav um, and his mum. You know, we'd go out for walks and we'd. we'd uh, I took them to see all the Tarzan films. Um, Were you happy? I was blissful. I was. I don't. I, I don't mind. I don't mind telling you. I, I, I was uh, for the first time in my life. I felt truly free. I felt truly. Uh, like I said, I was. I, I, I was unshackled. More after this. Hello. Right. I know it's tempting to skip this bit with your little skipping finger, your little claw, but I'm asking you not to. Uh, we only do this once a year shows on the maximum fun network the model is the shows are free of course uh but they are paid for by you the listener and only once a year in this two-week period called max fun drive do we bother you about it and so lend me your ears is what i'm saying so what is max fun drive in the context of beef and dairy network it is your opportunity to support the show and it's listener contributions that keep it going and i just want to say an absolutely gigantic Thank you to those of you who already support the podcast. Uh, it means so much to me. It basically allows me to do this. It allows me to 
pay contributors and put time aside to make this podcast. And I love doing it. So from that point of view, I want to say thank you. And really, it wouldn't happen were it not for you. So thank you so much. Your contributions mean that a man in Wales is making a regular spoof beef industry podcast. And I think that's beautiful. Now, I know that for some people, this is not something you could afford. Um, And obviously, that's fine. Of course, that's fine. And the shows will always be free. And I'm just happy that you're listening. And uh, thanks for doing that. And thank you for getting involved and telling your friends and all that kind of stuff. Thank you. But some of you, you know, could afford $5 a month. And if this show is something that you look forward to coming around every time it comes out, then why not support? Think of it like uh, giving me a tip. You know, you'd, you'd tip a waiter in a restaurant. Why not tip the podcaster who brings you your dish of audio to um, stretch out that metaphor? <laughs> so here it is. Would you please consider joining up as a member? If you have any questions about how this works, please get in contact um, over social media. But basically what happens is when you sign up to become a MaxFun member, the system asks you which podcasts on the network you want your money to, to go towards, which are the ones you listen to and which do you want to support. It might be that it's just the Beef and Dairy Network podcast that you listen to, in which case, great. Um, just click the Beef and Dairy Network little box. But of course, if you listen to all the others, then just check the boxes for whichever ones you listen to and it'll all be split out. And really, I think it's about just supporting the things that you want to exist in the world. I think um, podcasting and like indie podcasting, which is what what this is, you know, it's not paid for by Amazon or whatever, um, is an incredible thing, which allows me to exist making the stuff I want to make. It's it's like a it's a real dream come true. And I think you know if you if you want things that you like to exist in the world, then why not help make that happen? I think that's the that's the main thing. Uh, but also, there's some of the things you get in return. So um, there's bonus content. So this year, um, there's the audio of last year's live stream, Ask a Doc, which I did with Tom Neenan. There's a bonus episode which I made using stuff that I recorded for the original Beef Call episode, which never made it into the episode, and I've made a kind of thing out of that, which is pretty weird. I, it's quite. I just finished making it, and it's it's weird. Also, you get access to the video of last year's live show, which was at the London Podcast Festival, and was a very good show, and I think kind of worth watching with your eyes, um, not least because it contains a very beautiful wedding dress. Um, so those are all uh, there for anyone signing up at any any level, and all the old bonus episodes going back to when? 2016? Also, if you join at or upgrade to the $10 a month tier, there's an amazing vinyl sticker that's been made. I'll put a photo of it on social media, but it's like, it's a reversing Hyundai i10, <laughs> reversing into the sea, and it says, I remember passing it Vandercroft. To have a look at the gifts available, go to maximumfund.org forward slash join. So thank you for listening to this. In a nutshell, if you value Beef and Dairy Network podcast, if it's something you love, why not consider supporting us? It would mean a whole lot to me. So why not visit that website now, MaximumFun.org forward slash join. That's MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Uh, thanks for listening to me. Back to the episode. What a lot of people might not know is that chimps are regularly used as body doubles. 
for actors. Right. So often they're used as replacements for children because obviously they're quite small. Yeah. Or small old men. Okay. So like when they did The Irishman, for example, when they brought back De Niro and um, mm. and Joe Pesci and, and that lot, there was a lot made of the fact that obviously they used the CGI to... to make their faces look younger. Yeah. But a lot of people were saying, oh, their gait is quite strange. It's not like the gait of a young man. Yes. Was it that we were actually watching the gait of a... A chimp. A middle-aged chimp, yeah. Yeah, that was... I felt like on the path of Scorsese, that may have been that may have been a mistake. I think if you have that technology, you've got the actor there, mm. use it on the actor. But, you know, he went with the chimps, and you've got, you've got to be thankful for that as well, that, you know, people like Martin Scorsese is employing um, the chimp community in all of his films. And now and again, this is an exclusive, mm. um, he will employ a chimp to replace him in the director's chair. So then you've got a situation where you've got a chimp directing some other chimps. Yes. Are those scenes usually obvious? Chaos. And, and they still include those shots? They try to, because the chimp union is quite strong in Hollywood now. So if they were to try and edit that out, mm. then there would be trouble and also with the particular example of the irishman scorsese did also use a chimp in the edit suite and a chimp's not going to edit out another chimp i see and that that's maybe begins to tell us the story of why that film was quite so long very very long you know chimps are wonderful animals but they've got no sense of brevity whatsoever i believe that there was one chimp though that really got pulses racing uh and and was kind of the top dog amongst them can you tell me a little bit about him well, this this chimp, um, he, he, I mean, he's changed his name actually to the name of the actor that he always replaced and would always help out. They were like a team by the end. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe, the chimp, right? Who would be in multiple, multiple shots in, in all the Harry Potter films. Every time you see Daniel Radcliffe from behind in a Harry Potter film, that is actually Daniel Radcliffe, the chimp. Mm. And you sent me some photographs over of you. In the sanctuary with the chimps, some lovely photographs. There's an obvious bond between between you and the chimps. Yeah, but sometimes in the background of the photographs, you'll see a you'll see the Daniel Radcliffe chimp. He looks ex- extraordinarily like Daniel Radcliffe. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's it, it's from a distance, but it's also up close. From behind, especially, is it, it's he's the spitting image of Daniel Radcliffe. I was I was looking at it thinking. Surely that chimp has had to have some kind of facial surgery to look more like Daniel Radcliffe. Is that what they did to, to, to sub him in? It's actually the other way around. So the studio was so happy with the chimp's work mm. that they wanted the chimp to do more face work mm. in in the Harry Potter films. And they just decided it was probably better to give Daniel Radcliffe surgery to look more like the chimp. Because you can do it under the guise of, of puberty, I guess. Well, exactly. So a lot of people, a lot of people would watch the Harry Potter films and say, "Oh, aren't they growing up? Aren't they getting older? Doesn't Daniel Radcliffe look different?" And what they don't actually know is quite traumatic plastic surgery on Daniel Radcliffe to look more like the chimp that acted alongside him or instead mm. of him. Yeah, and I believe by the end of the Harry Potter franchise, Daniel Radcliffe actually wasn't even on set for the last film. Barely. I mean, he was very tired. Obviously, the the pressures of celebrity are a lot, and he would just be in his trailer most of the most of the time, or off on holiday. And it would be the chimp doing the majority of the work. And obviously, Daniel Radcliffe, the chimp, is now living in the sanctuary. Hmm. So one assumes he's no longer working with, with Daniel. Um, Daniel continues to work and, and make great films and do great work in Hollywood. How's that working? What, what's gone on there? 
Well, of course, they do like to keep this sort of stuff quite under wraps, especially the extent that Daniel Radcliffe, the chimp, was working mm. uh, instead of Daniel Radcliffe. So, you know, Radcliffe's agents buried it immediately and I believe did throw the chimp into the sanctuary almost like a prison to keep him quiet. Oh, so once the press begin to get an inkling that maybe this chimp is doing a bit more work than, than usual, yes, it's time to send him off to the sanctuary. It's time to send him off to the sanctuary. Although there are some rumours that the Daniel Radcliffe that you see working in films today is actually Daniel Radcliffe the chimp, and in our sanctuary is Daniel Radcliffe the human. And having interacted with with that person or, or chimp, what do you think? Well, it's interesting you ask, because we did um, a few years ago, uh, Emma Watson, um, Hermione, who, who, by the way, Emma Watson was herself on set. No chimp double? No chimp double for Emma Watson. Uh, Rupert Grint, they actually cast the chimp originally. Right. And then what? And brought in the boy for the, the shots? No, there's no, but there's no boy. He's chimp all the way down? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. But Emma Watson was, it was and is human and came to the sanctuary to visit. She's a very uh, charitable young lady. She, she does a lot. She's, I believe, a celebrity patron of the, uh, of, of the sanctuary. She is. She's a celebrity patron of, of many charities. And you don't get a lot of time with her, but, you know, she really puts in the effort. And she came to the chimp sanctuary and she asked to be introduced to all the chimps. And I said, that's an absolute pleasure. This is PG Tips. There's one dressed as a Victorian man. And she looked over all the chimps and I said, oh, and you might, you might recognize this one. Hmm. And they locked eyes and, you know, obviously they worked together. You just saw something very human in Daniel Radcliffe, the chimp's eyes, and it's like that it was that old chemistry coming back. Mm. And that did make me wonder, what if we've got the wrong one? Yeah. And do you think do you think Emma herself got a, an inkling of that? I think she knew. I don't know if she's involved. You know, I wouldn't like to cast aspersions or create conspiracy theories, but... She knew she left in a real hurry that day. They were halcyon days for a while, you know. And of course, one thing led to another, and, and uh, my my joy was was uh, was unfortunately short lived. Little did Eli know that as he was bringing up David as his own, the Royal Society for the Protection of Animals had got wind of the fact that Eli was using stolen African chimpanzees as security guards. After conducting a short investigation, they arrived at Eli's compound in Wales. The RSPCA turned up. I think, the, I think they got a quite a benign image. You, you see him, you see him on, the, on the television news, and you, you see him in uh, you know, the, uh, the adverts on the radio, and you see him out collecting outside the shops in the shopping centres. And Yeah, it's normally just a, a, a bloke in a polo shirt. Fairly harmless. Trying to grab a swan and put it in a box or whatever, you know. That's it, yeah. You know, and they give you like a free panda or something, or, you know, like a, a, little, a little a toy or a badge. But what people don't realise about the RSPCA is they are very much um, hands-on. And when it comes to protect the animals, I mean, fair play to them, right? I was, I, it could, it, they took me by surprise. If I'm very, very honest, I was expecting, like you said, a, maybe a chap in a roll neck, maybe a woman in a, in a, in a pleated skirt, turn up at the house and, uh, and to, to appeal to my better nature, of which I don't have one. And uh, far from it, they, I, I opened the door and was met by a, what can only be described as a division of the RSPCA. But people may, may not know this, but in those uh, in, in a in a in a battle situation, the RSPCA are very very highly armed. 
Right. Very, very, very well drilled, very, very disciplined, very highly armed, fearless. Right. So how many how many people are we talking about? I would say there was upwards of 800 people. And um, all, all of them armed? All armed to the teeth. Right. What they've done, obviously, over, over the very, very popular charity in this country, people leave stuff to the RSVC and the wills. Uh, that's probably where they make most of their money. People realize they've been around for a long time. And a lot of those things left to the RSPC are weapons. And a lot of those people who had animals would have been uh, fought in, the, in in one of the one of the world wars and uh, and, and the, the various skirmishes and that in between and have been in the armed forces. And uh, they have been left an awful lot of weapons over the years. So just to um, paint a clear picture of what yeah. you're seeing when you open the door, 800... 800 highly armed RSPCA officers, yeah. Armed with sort of antique weapons by the sounds of the Certainly there would have been um, bolt-action rifles going back as far as the First World War. There would have been carbines from the Second World War and, and revolvers, bayonets attached as well. I mean, there was all sorts. There were, there, a couple of chaps had a, a belt-fed uh, tripod-mounted machine guns, the sort you see in, in, uh, in the Vietnam War. Mm. And uh, So from, you know, if you if you weren't in the situation of someone, if they weren't pointed at you, it might be a quite an interesting thing to look at if you were a you know. Oh, very much so. If you if you if you're into a sort of a, a reenactment society, but of, of battles across the ages, there were a couple of uh, cannon. Right. They looked like they were from the sort of uh, uh, well Elizabethan period. I would say it was. A, they were cast up. kind of English Civil War era and earlier. Yeah, and earlier. Um, a couple of fellas there, and uh, one fella uh, was swinging very menacingly. Like, he, very well dressed man. I mean, he, he was. I could see him now. He had a. He had like a, a tweed jacket on with, with elbow patches and a, and a sort of gingham shirt, if you will, uh, and a pair of nice trousers on and some brown, fairly comfortable-looking shoes, but swinging a mace over his head, a 12th-century mace, it looked like to me, a uh, spiked mace. Um, so from the rudimentary weapons all the way up to the modern day, I mean, there was, I would say, if you look at the, the history books, it would have been at least four, possibly six or eight RSPA uh, members flying a B-52 flying fortress. Uh, which was circling over the over the head there. There was a rear gunner. There was a front gunner. There would have been, I suppose, a, a pilot and a co-pilot and a bombardier. So at least, yeah, like I said, probably five, six, seven, maybe eight RSPCA in the B-52, of course. And are these RSPCA officers, are they uh, volunteers? Is that I don't know if you know much about how they managed to recruit. I think it's very much like the, I, I don't I don't think it's called the Territorial Army these days. I think it's called the Army Reserve. But uh, I think you sort of, the, the deal is that you turn up and you work in the shop sort of uh, five weekends in a row and the sixth weekend you get to go on manoeuvres so um, on a sort of staggered basis so yeah I mean 800 as I said you know um, 800 people there is probably if you work it out on a rotor basis probably a sixth of their actual forces they could they could call upon in a real big emergency you talk about upwards of sort of four four and a half five thousand armed RSPCA troops but uh, there was the 800 there so do you um, think we underestimate the RSPCA then? Because this is all news to me, and I think most people listening, you know, they see the charity shops where people, yeah. you know, might buy a, an old copy of a Terence Trent RBCD for a pound or whatever, and they don't realise that that money's no. going towards an armed force. You know, you're buying your knit needles, you're buying your, your sheet music, you know, you're buying your tea cozies, you're buying a set of uh, of uh, China teacups that never quite match, maybe got five teacups and four saucers. Or... All that money is funneled towards arming and training RSPC officers to go out into the field. Nothing but respect for them, really. I mean, what impressed me was not just the B-52, which was a wonderful sound on it, those big engines. and the, Of course, that to have, uh, as it is, a, a, a bombing aircraft and an escort. Right. So there was, uh, 
it was lovely. It was it was like it was like a like a flight pass. There was uh, there was two. Uh, they looked like Spitfires. So yeah, I mean, what do you do in that situation? Yes, because obviously you're 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 someone who, you know, I know doesn't back down from a fight no. um, easily. You know, you you tend to like no. to to put your money where your mouth yeah. is. Um, but when faced with that kind of thing, how do you react? And how did you react? You got to embrace it, haven't you? So what I did was I, I shut the door fairly quickly. I took all my clothes off. I had some blue food coloring in the kitchen. Covered myself in uh, like a makeshift wood. Uh, grabbed one of the crossbows and uh, and an axe, and just ran into the into the, into the you know the sort of front line of the phalanx. Yeah. Uh, after my battle cry, so, you know, with probably thirty or forty of the chimps behind me, you know, but I, I would never send the chimps in somewhere where I would fear to tread myself. So I, I so I went back there. So hey, boys and girls, come on, we got work to do, you know. Yeah. And, uh, David looked at me. I could see the pride in his eyes. He was like that. Uh, he looked at me in the way that uh, you sort of see those recruiting posters from the Second World War, and that when there's a kid there and there's a daddy in an armchair, you know. Um, Daddy, what did you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I charged in, uh, swinging an axe around my head. I, I, I tied a rope to the axe. I was using it very much as a sort of a, a large, almost like a flymo, like a like a like a like a lawnmower. And that took out the first sort of side. I suppose six or seven people on the front of the front of the uh, front of the RSPCA phalanx there. And then uh, before I could shoulder the crossbow and start to do some real damage, um, one fella, nice bloke called Graham. Caught me in the back of the head with a with what looked like um, a Viking mallet, and uh, oh, that really knocked me bandy. You know, I was I was staggering, I was dazed. And then a uh, woman called Sheila came over with um, we've seen the film Gladiator, but she had like a net essentially, right? A weighted net which she threw over me, and then she hit me just above my kidneys with a with a tri with a trident essentially. Mm. And that's done. And I was, and I could see, I could see the boys and girls get involved and, and piling in. And um, it must be hard being an, a, an RSPCA officer armed when a chimp attacks you, because obviously your job is to not harm animals. But when a chimp is coming at you with a crossbow, I well, this is the thing. This is what I didn't realize at the time: is 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 they had uh, a series of, of non-lethal um, uh, weapons, if you will, purely for dealing with the chimps, right? So they were being hit with essentially every since almost like a like a big beanbag, a weighted beanbag which they fire would hit the chimp in the chest and sort of knock him backwards, take the wind out of him. But for me, you know, there there there's no quarter asked or given with a human, right? With, with the owners of the, of the animals that are being mistreated, if if indeed they were being mistreated, which they weren't. Um, yeah, and I was so I I I, I remember I pulled the trident out. I was trying to get the bloody the net off me, the weighted net, but there was lead weights all on the outside of it, and of course I was still in a, in a daze from the from the Viking warhammer. When uh, a fella called Terry, he, he shot me twice in the buttocks with a um, with a nine millimeter Beretta, which was very very painful. Uh, and then just I thought I'd had enough, and I was oh, I, I was about to, to to give in and and give in to you know uh, I, was, I was thinking stay away from the light, stay away from the light, you know, mm. and. Um, a young young girl, uh, Stacy, nineteen years of age, just just joined the RSPCA. A lovely girl. Uh, I think she's taking a gap year before she goes to university. She caught my testicles and my and my my penis in a in a bear trap, which, as you can imagine, was oh, you know. 
and completely took it off. I mean, this was this was the thing, and and, and I, I bled profusely at that point. And I can I, I just remember seeing the light got brighter and brighter, and then I, I passed out, and um, I, I, w- I woke up in a field hospital. Right. Uh, se- several days later, you know, um, I was run by uh, RSPCA medics. I was reminded of uh, Charles Nestor, of course, the uh, NRA uh, advocate uh, and, and an actor, who, <laughs> you know, funny enough, was in Planet of the Apes, of course, uh, who said they would pry my, my, my gun from my cold dead hands. And I always thought I, that they would pry my penis from my cold dead hands, but um, not always very much alive when, when the penis was pried from me. Hmm. Uh, and I could deal with that. I could deal with the physical loss. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been dealing with physical loss my, my whole life, you know, but uh, it was it was the emotional loss because I turned around and, and uh, there was no, of course, there was no David. David was gone. They'd taken David from me. They'd taken my, they'd taken my manhood, and my and my and my uh, my prob my progeny. I'm much harder to deal with the loss of David than it was the loss of my penis and testicles. Next time on Beef and Dairy Network Podcast. The celebrity chimps, unfortunately, at that point, will form a sort of jury. Yeah, yeah, parasites, insects, uh, rodents, uh, whatever, really, whatever's passing. Did they think they were getting a pumpkin, or did did they, you know, knowingly commit a murder? Uh, Take a few uh, bin bags full of mosquitoes with me. Ripped chimps. Six packs, the works. I thought it was important that I was able to weather out any sort of siege. We just have to hide Daniel Radcliffe because there's no getting away from the fact he really does look like the man. The plan was to make my way to London via various zoos. He shits in my mouth while I'm asleep, but I make him an omelette. Thanks to Linnea Sage, Mike Bubbins and Ed Gamble. Part two, next week. Now, the reason that we're putting out these two episodes this month is that it is Max Fun Drive. And before we go, I just want to let you know about a couple of fun things we're doing as part of Max Fun Drive. Um, so what have we got? The main one is Tuesday, the 21st of March, which if you're listening to this on the day of release is tomorrow. So um, it's tomorrow. I'm doing a live stream event with Tom Neenan and Mike Wozniak. It's Ask a Doc versus ask a vet so we're putting your veterinary and medical queries to both tv doctor dr sam archer of channel 4's car crash anus and of course bovine ask vet bob truscothic they're always fun these events so that'll be at 8 p.m british time on tuesday the 21st of march at 8 p.m and to get there it's going to be on twitch so go to twitch.tv forward slash benjamin partridge um you don't have to like sign up to twitch to watch it you can just go there twitch.tv forward slash benjamin partridge and you'll be able to watch it if you'd like to comment and get involved i think you do have to set up a twitch account but i think it's super easy so um yeah come along to that those are always really good fun so that's probably gonna last about an hour so yeah 8 p.m till 9 p.m on tuesday um i'm also going to be doing some reddit ask me anythings so both as myself as the host of the podcast and maybe a an ask me anything from our old friend eli roberts 
Um, for details of exactly when I'm going to be doing those, um, check out our social media. I'll be posting about that. So that's like on Twitter and Instagram is where you can find the Beef and Dairy Network on social media. We haven't yet made the leap to TikTok. I don't think we ever will because it involves dancing, I think. I've also made um, a series of videos which I'll be putting out on social media over the next couple of weeks. They are fun, I think. Um, so yeah. So basically, yeah, keep an eye out. And yes, the main thing, if you want to come to the streaming event, 8pm, Tuesday 21st of March on twitch.tv forward slash Benjamin Partridge. I'm throwing a lot of website addresses at you this episode. The main one being maximumfun.org forward slash join. All this Max Fun Drive stuff is about our annual fundraising drive. If you'd like to support the podcast, and I would invite you to consider it, go to maximumfun.org forward slash join. Right. Thank you. And uh, see you next week for the conclusion of this naughty tale. Bye.